Hello, welcome to We Don't Talk About the Weather, political discussion that from the outside may look like screaming and crying. I'm Adam and this is Hugh. Hello. And we're here to talk news and politics. How's your week right. been? Uh, I'm alright, I am transitioning off of the highest nicotine level of e-liquid because I felt that given the election of our lives, the most important election in at least two years, yeah. uh, I felt it wasn't putting enough pressure on my system. <laughs> Yeah. Um, or my brain, and so I was getting a bit. It was getting a bit easy. Yeah. It was getting a bit, you know, every day. <laughs> so I'm going to take this election on hard mode. <laughs> well, um, I. Well, today I spilt Huel on one of my animations. <laughs> <laughs> That's the day I've had. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> it's very me. <laughs> they they talk about crises of masculinity. <laughs> <laughs> Which anime shirt? The one I'm wearing right now. <laughs> the one, the stained, this... the stained anime shirt I'm wearing right now. Which one? This the one with Goku and Vegeta kissing. Ah, there we go. I'm, a... <laughs> I'm not going to wear like one of those cool Hawaiian shirts. I can't. I, I'm, I'm too fat to wear one of the colourful Hawaiian, what Hawaiian style ones. I'd look, I'd, I'd look too much yeah, like the fail, Coke, the fail Coke brother. Oh Coke yeah, Wyatt up. Coke. Yeah, with his, one, uh, with his, his amazing Hawaiian shirts. Yeah, I'd, I'd look too much like that. I'd, I'm not old enough yet. I'm too fat, but not old enough to get away with Hawaiian shirts. Yeah, there's a very weird kind of matrix when it comes to men's clothing of mm. yeah age and fatness. Mm-hmm. It's um it's a minefield. It is. You it's, it's very hard. Don't mind telling you that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Okay. This week. Mm-hmm. We're finishing off examining the party's manifestos. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about the Labour manifesto. Mm-hmm. It's been a few weeks. There have been some addendums. Mm-hmm. I've gone through the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty good. It's a laundry <laughs> list of, of It's of a laundry bribes. list of bribes and grievances. Yes. And handouts. It's a bunch of handouts to terrorists. That's what Majid Nawaz said. <laughs> Trying to bribe. And if, he, if we're going to talk about handouts to terrorists... Who better than the expert, Magic Noir's expert at giving thousands of pounds to fucking fascists? <laughs> My favourite thing is, like, you understand if you elect Labour Labour in, which was, like, one of the things that Dominic Cummings wrote in his unredacted blog post mm-hmm. that he resigned over earlier this week. Do you know stroke you see, three see where he was ago. today? Where was he? What do you think? Well, he was next to Boris. He was at the NATO thing, yeah. Yeah, he was 100% still yeah. there. One of my favourite, yeah, but one of my favourite things is like, if you let Jeremy Corbyn in, like their, their big smoking gun, their danger is, he will give the vote to communities. And you know what they mean when they say communities? Yeah. You know, they mean, in their imaginary, how, Tower Hamlets. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And you can't have Tower Hamlets voting. It's dangerous. It's a dangerous situation to be in. Yeah, there's, um, yeah that NATO thing was so weird. It was, I, I was completely sucked into all of that today. That was really funny. Um, oh, yeah, that was your day watching. <laughs> um, yeah, just spilling stuff on me and myself, and um, yeah, it was you know Trudeau saying, well, Trudeau making joke. Well, they were just talking about how like they were all late because Donald Trump had decided to give a forty-minute press conference out of nowhere, and then Trump got all upset and pissy and decided to go home early, and then Trudeau like ex- like. He did his apology quite well because, like, there were, um, Boris was asked about it and Trudeau was asked about it. And Boris just like said nothing happened. And it's like it's on tape, you fucking idiot. Trudeau just apologised really easy, but he's got really good at apologising very quickly about things. <laughs> oh, that man's amazing. 
There's a, there is something impressive about a man so committed to blackface. Yeah. That I've seen those photos when he's done like the arms. Like if you're doing blackface, like you know, you've just you're gonna I'm gonna go to this party as Aladdin. And you're doing the blackface and you've done the face and you're looking at yourself in the mirror and you're like, hmm, this seems, hmm. And then you start rubbing it into your neck and your shoulders. And surely at one point, like maybe when you're blacking up your fingers <laughs> to really get the costume dead on that you'd question it. But not Trudeau. Trudeau would just keep on plowing through like with his oil pipelines. <laughs> Everyone talks about, you know, um, the, the immediate, like obvious racial offence mm-hmm. of blackface. They never talk about the amount of care. Yeah. And the amount of commitment that it takes. We've seen how many costumes he's got. (laughs) He's very committed to his racisms. But yeah, Manifesto. Manifesto. Mm. So, obviously, again, going through all of it, it's huge, huge manifesto covering a lot. There are several basic themes that come out of this that go beyond just like being, like it's like, yeah, stereotypes as a handout or just increased spending. Yeah. Right, because that's been a lot of manifestos. We saw with the Conservative manifesto last week that mm-hmm. they still operate on the old logic that the connections and relations that public services and government and every politics has to people is basically fine. Mm. All you need is more funding, and the press laps this up and says, "Ah, finally, austerity's over, and yeah. it's not over because all of those relations have already been broken over the last ten years." Mm-hmm. Um, in the Labour manifesto, there's a few things that are markedly different from, I think, from other other manifestos. So, you've got first up basic public ownership stuff, the mm. usuals, the ones that have gotten all the headlines. So it's energy, water, the post office, Greg's, um, Greg's Weatherspoons, uh, Buckingham Palace. Yeah. Um, Nick Ferrari was talking about Nick Ferrari. They're nationalising <laughs> Nick Ferrari. Oh, that'd be so good. That's a waste of money. You're paying no. more to shareholders than you are oh. actually getting back value. Nationalise Nick Ferrari and make him work on hospital radio. <laughs> um, no, I saw Nick Ferrari was complaining that raising the live, raising the living wage and forcing some of the worst companies to pay said living wage was the same as nationalising. <laughs> what? Well, you can't expect that isn't not... what nationalism is. No. Nationalism, nationalisation is. You can't. Don't question. He is, he was journalist of the year. Damn it. <laughs> Because he because he picked on a woman going through a diabetic like about to have a diabetic episode. That was yeah. what's was happening, wasn't it? Yeah, because she'd just been diagnosed with diabetes. Diane Abbott when she was just been diagnosed. Oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was like around that time when she was trying to get because you know getting your diet right and getting used to it, and yeah. and she forgot a number. Mm-hmm. And because he pers- like really went in on it, he did it. He's been doing this year. Like the advert every fucking five seconds on LBC is him hammering. I think it's Dawn Butler. I might be wrong on that. On a number it would, of, it would fit of homeless pat- people. It would fit a certain pattern if it were Dawn Butler, if you know what I'm saying. What, holding Labour politicians to account, you exactly. mean? Exactly. Um, but she got... Trudeau a, style. <laughs> <laughs> but she got like um, the numbers of homeless people in Brent wrong. And, right, yeah, yeah. And because he pointed this out, hmm. this is basically him auditioning for Journalist of the Year again. And it's like, come on... <laughs> Come on, you picked on a black person to win that award before. You need to pick on someone else this time, like, I don't know, a Chinese person or a Muslim. <laughs> um, yeah, like, uh, so we have, yeah, broadband, water, mm-hmm. power, um, all those kind of things we've brought into public ownership. Um, and they will be treated as rights rather than commodities with any surplus reinvested or used to reduce bills. Okay. Um, 
they will also there's a lot of uh, policies where they try to bring people closer to the services that they use and give them more power in their workplaces. Mm-hmm. Again, fairly fairly straightforward, but it, it really makes a difference. There was one um, bit that, that kind of stuck out to me. Introducing a legal right to collective consultation on the implementation of new technology in workplaces. So you can't just get rid of a load of workers because you bought a new machine. Yeah. Stuff like that. Yeah. And it's like, there's a lot of... Um, policies over the years and, and like why do they hate technology so much? <laughs> well no it will be a consultation <laughs> there we go um there's a lot of things that like people it's been a standard thing for mode for the media and and for politicians in general to talk about a problem mm-hmm. and then it just it just goes on yeah. it just just carries on you know you 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 bitch and you bitch about like oh automation's coming, people better be ready. And that automatically positions the workers who are going to be affected by that in a mode whereby either they are going to have to, and the the principle behind positioning like that is because they will have to acquiesce because they have no right to do otherwise because Mm -hmm. all the power is in the hands of capital and and business owners who are proposing this. But like, everyone talks about these things as if they're intractable problems and, and never really really comes to a head but like quite a lot of the stuff in this manifesto is doing things that people have been drawing attention to for decades mm-hmm. and that they never thought to propose like things that have got like so many column inches or hand wringing documentaries um about a particular issue and you know i think there's only so many decades that this can go on being a going concern mm-hmm. that you can th- be exposed to that kind of, of rhetoric without thinking there's kind of a simple solution to this. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, yeah, there's a low pay crisis. Mm-hmm. And so they put the bump the minimum wage up to £10. Yeah. Like it's not an entire solution, but it's just, it's one of those like, you know, uh, every time a liberal says something is complicated, it's simple. Every time they say it's simple, it's complicated. Mm-hmm. Um you know, they'll uh, labour will stop runaway rents by capping them with inflation and give cities powers to cap rents further. There is a renting crisis. There is rental inflation. Cap rents. But, but go what, on. What if I want <laughs> to raise my rents to an absurd degree? Well, that will make it. The thing is, if you rent cap, like there's a bit on the road near here mm. on um on Beulah Road, there's a bit where there's like four shops yeah. that have been shut for a while now. And I think it's like, I think it is with that, like, before you can turn like a commercial property into a residential property, you have to prove that you can't rent it out as. Um, uh, yeah, because there are zoning, there are yeah. zoning things. So you have to prove that you can't law, rent yeah, it out as a commercial planning. property, so you can, like, then you can justify turning one into flats. Hmm. Now, those have been shut for ages because he put the rents up so high that no one could afford to, to be there. There we go. Now, and if you rent cap it, how is he supposed to turn <laughs> those places into. Literal Bed- spun gold <laughs> into beds. Into beds. How am I supposed to bring my massive goose, force feed him this property, and then have it spit out golden eggs for me to sell? You've seen that landlord for money. You've seen that landlord in Kent. He needs the money. <laughs> I keep mainly to pay his for the law. Hit that guy in Kent, um, the one who owns like he. I think he sold them all now because yeah. he refused to rent to like <laughs> refu- in Asian people because no, of the curry smell. He refused to rent to like Asian people, single mums, unemployed. Like the, the list got so extreme that he literally could only rent to the five richest kings of Europe, and they didn't <laughs> want to live in Chatham. <laughs> 
So yeah, he's sold up. But yeah, what about him? What about that poor man? People like that. A, these landlords a... are the backbone of our economy. If it wasn't for landlords driving rents up to an almost unbearable level, Ascot would be desolate. How would? Why would people bother to work hard? There's a reason why productivity is so high in Britain. It's not. But there's a reason why it's so high, and it's because people have to work, otherwise they'll be destitute. <laughs> And Labour is going to get rid of that, the bu- destroying the economy. The bu- There's the first hole in Labour's economy, in a manifesto. They're going to destroy the economy because people won't be working so hard because of fear of death. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that is the ultimate thing of why this simple thing isn't done, mm-hmm. which is liberals will say it's too complicated. It's too um, complicated to... Mm-hmm. Do You can't just do that. Mm-hmm. But of course... When you've said that after, like, even if it were complicated, Mm. even if it did require a very, very in-depth technocratic Mm. solution to solve it, Mm. you've had, like, 30 years. Well, normally... Housing has been a problem for 30 years. If you have... Like, being serious, though, like, normally when they say, like, oh, if you can't have rent caps because then people will sell their houses, and it's like, well, good, then property will come down in price and people will be able to afford to live there. Have you been around... You must have been, like... um, like around Chelsea and Mayfair on a Sunday. Uh yes, yeah. And the other place like or like the city of <laughs> or like the city of Got London. a little pied de terre. <laughs> or like the city of London on a Sunday. Oh, city of London. I have yeah. been, actually been down there in the last couple of weeks. Actually, yeah, yeah. Empty. Oh, it's it's desolate. It's Cause, amazing. Cause no one lives I there. fucking I fucking love central London oh. when there's no one else yeah, there. It's really it is kind of cool and weird and bizarre. Yeah. But there is also all this property that is just sitting there. Oh yeah, mm. because of this kind of shit. Oh, yeah, the the the. Sus- they should sell them. The suspicion is that when people say that, but or most importantly, like they don't say anything at all mm-hmm. because nobody has proposed it in that way for many many years. Columnists will spill inches on the terrible terrible problem that needs to be solved. Yeah, but if you do say. They will always have a paragraph in there that says you can't just raise wages. That no. will, and at some point after that amount of time, when that thi- that thing goes unspoken, you start to maybe suspect there is a systemic interest at play that is in opposition to this particular thing, and that's what it is. That's what yeah. people have been saying for decades. Um, yeah, there was um, uh, a policy of um, building... This is more of an indicative policy rather than a specific one, but building three new steel recycling plants mm-hmm. in areas with a proud history of steel manufacturing and upgrading existing production sites. Now, this is another example of this kind of long-term problem that we always... Like, you can't move in papers, in mm-hmm. media, without talking about the forgotten working class, yeah. the ex-industrial working class. And what annoys me about when any of these... When John Harris or someone goes to ex-industrial areas... It's treated like this fait accompli. Mm. These factories aren't coming back. It's it's a it's just an exception of global. It's an acceptance of globalization, and they will say that mm-hmm. they will say globalization has made these factories uneconomic and they're yeah. never coming back. And what are we going to do? And it's like one of the things that really like like other than like like there's ethical stuff and and certain like personal experiences that I've gone through to, that make me a socialist. One of the things going through is the idea that there's a shit ton of work to be done, mm-hmm. and the profit motive is entirely it works entirely in opposition to that. Mm-hmm. Like all these places, like need stuff. The mm-hmm. reason they don't have stuff is literally because there is a group of people who are in charge of setting the priorities for ca- for allocation mm-hmm. of resources and, and capital, and they have decided that these places can safely be abandoned. Yeah, well, like it, um, broadband is a really perfect example for all of that. Yeah, like. Why is why do people not care about like you know um, the st- 
steel manufacturing in Port Talbot. Yeah, it was Port Talbot. Yeah. Um, it's for the same reason that there isn't broadband service in my in-law's village mm. in, Nor- in Norfolk. Because there's like, not enough, there's like, oh, there's not enough money in it for us. Yeah. Not once do you ever... And if, you t- if you have the profit motive for everything, it's always going to be like that. Well, what, what you hear from people is ultimately this idea that their poverty and that their, like, particular economic situation of, like, you know, Blackpool mm-hmm. um, and Sheffield and places like that is that... Oh, it's it's because they haven't been appeased to culturally, mm-hmm. as opposed to again bringing it back to the easy answer to a, a simple question: is they're ex-industrial mm-hmm. because they used to be industrial and now they're not. They were built up during the industrial revolution with large population centres. They still exist as that. They still have houses. There are still people there who call it their home, but they don't have enough jobs to make living there economically viable. So you either move away and cause pressure on other areas, or you stay there and you get all the problems associated with with inequality and not having any any stuff to do and like i say like it's not like stopping climate change is going to require it, it stopping climate change is going to require like recyclable materials it's mm. going to require a lot of work to change the way mm. in which we relate to our material culture and and all of that stuff and it's mm-hmm. like it's not like the work isn't there it's mm-hmm. not like communities don't need stuff yeah. it's just that they have no access to the strategic uh, yeah allocations mm-hmm. that is needed in order to make those things it's yeah. fucking shit um and you know if like, it, it might sound a bit like like economically nationalist of like bringing stuff back into um like bringing manufacturing back and all that because it's been weaponized so much that it's been considered this kind of uh like nationalist thing mm-hmm. and i'd have a yeah fine I'll have, have some national factories. Mm-hmm. I'll bring that back. That's fine. I'm totally okay with that. Um, and the the last one in this bit, like simple answers to simple questions. Introducing four new bank holidays, celebrating our four patron saint days. Mm-hmm. Now, every fucking year, as predictable as war Christmas, someone around St. George's Day, mm-hmm. and it is always St. George's Day, mm-hmm. but let's pretend that it's for all of the four, four patron mm-hmm. saints. Um, there are calls to make... Uh, St George's Day a bank holiday mm-hmm. like it's a cultural thing they say it's the liberal elite don't understand how yeah. much people fucking love St George mm-hmm. and it's like well we've had fucking governments who want to appease like nationalist sentiment and build up that kind of like patriotic thing that Englishness or that you know whatever why haven't they just introduced it again mm-hmm. it's because there's a systemic interest in not allowing workers more days off than they would otherwise have mm-hmm. because it's about maintaining control over a, a, a labour force. But... That it's useful for them to also maintain a cultural grievance. Yeah. And days off cost business. Like, it's simple as that. Yeah. Like, but I don't want a stay off for St George's Day. Like you. For, for, like, for St David's Day, for St Andrew's, for St Patrick's Day, yes. And then another one, but for, like, I don't know, Ian Banks. I don't want. I don't want one for. for I don't. I don't. Doesn't deserve one. I don't. The English don't deserve one. I don't give a shit about celebrating any of the symbols, but I will no. crawl over your fucking corpse no. to get an extra day off. No, you can have the day off, but I don't want that cross. <laughs> I don't want. I don't want them to be happy. About it. I don't want them to be happy. I don't want them to enjoy it. No, they can have. They will be Ian Banks's holiday. <laughs> um. Yeah, so moving on to another aspect of the manifesto, okay. quite a lot of like regional investment stuff, mm-hmm. which is really interesting. Going to set up regional development banks, regional energy agencies, mm-hmm. um, 
allocating money to research through these uh, through these development agencies, um, making putting um, post uh, banks in post offices again to um, uh, enable like access to finance advice things like that. They're basically renationalizing the post office. And opening new branches seems to be a way that they're going to actually spread like advice, advice centers and things like that. They're also going to open um, regional uh, law centers. So uh, my guess is that would be somewhat similar to the citizens' advice, perhaps with but a bit more like expertise. But it's important that yeah, more funding and uh, open. Yeah, yeah, uh, actually open when you can when yeah. you can go because like one of the weirdest situ one of the weirdest the most isolating situations of like when we were really struggling um, when I lived in Birmingham was absolutely nobody to tell you what to do. Mm. Like you're getting bombarded with like phone calls from debt collection agencies. You know, you're in trouble with your landlord and you've got a load of, there are a load of like for profit debt advice centers. Mm. Um, There are a few free ones as well, which were really helpful, but like you don't know where to go to Mm. say if you're in rent arrears to get your landlord to fix your heating. Yeah. Do you know that kind of thing? And yeah, it can only it can only be a good thing. Um, well, there won't be any landlords in Corbyn's Britain. You'll be living there in your council property with your fixed eating. You fucking animal! <laughs> uh, yeah, they're also going. They also talked about um, again reopening factories. Uh, we will ensure the UK's automotive sector isn't left behind by the electric revolution mm. by investing in three new gigafactories and four metal processing plants. Again, it's like regionally placing things like in ex-industrial areas because mm. you know that would give them jobs and that's what they would like. They would like some jobs, please. Why wouldn't you give us some jobs? Yeah. Simple answer to a simple question. Uh, and yeah, it seems like it's uh, an actual Northern powerhouse that might work. Mm-hmm. Although the terms of the Northern powerhouse was always like, we're going to make it really, really strong so it can punch out other free economic zones. <laughs> it's like, te- so... Manchester can take on Shenzhen or something like that. <laughs> I can't remember much about the Northern Powerhouse except High Speed Two. Well, they'd have a train. Yeah, they had they had one so train. They, they get... cancelled all of the regional uh, yeah. rail upgrades that yeah. would have linked like Manchester and Leeds. That's another proposal that Labour are going to uh, put in. But it's like you got to think about the reasons why the Na- the Northern Powerhouse didn't work, and it's like ultimately. Again, ex-industrial zones could provide nowhere near the return of capital. They took the traditional method of reinvigorating areas under neoliberalism, which Mm -hmm. is make it so cheap, give them so much money that corporations basically won't have a choice but to locate there. Again, leaves the strategic thinking in the hands of multinationals Mm -hmm. and and capitalists, Mm -hmm. as opposed to forcing it, which actually, if you wanted to make a northern powerhouse, that's what you'd have to do. You'd have to put it there yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, they were. Labour will also re-establish regional government offices to make central government more attuned to our English regions to support regional investments and to enable the shift of political power away from Westminster. I had to actually look these up, what mm. they were, and it's like, oh yeah, I remember this. They were set up in 94 under John Major, and they were abolished in 2011 mm-hmm. under Cameron. They were basically... Eight offices in different regions that would coordinate activities between central government and local councils, right? Okay. So if you um, if you had infrastructure planning yeah. that councils are too small to do and national government is too far away to do, yeah. you use a regional government office. So to, like a like, motorway that would go between two... Yeah, 
authorities. Yeah, to, to linking it up. And they, they're also, they serve as kind of a, a larger watchdog. They were another step mm. on the way. Um, they were abolished, and while they were being abolished under, under Cameron, Eric Pickles said they were not voices for Pete for... They were not voices for regions in Whitehall, but agents of Whitehall to intervene and interfere in localities. Because this was when Cameron was doing his whole localism shtick. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, the, the idea of these like regional councils being like commissars, mm. making sure that Whitehall's the Whitehall edicts. commissars with their yeah. big hats. Yeah. Um, I just think this is good because I mean we will need bases of local political power when we reinstate the heptarchy. <laughs> so it's going to be fine. One the the big bit. The big factor of these is these this the big factor of this Labour manifesto that I particularly like is I don't know what the word to use complementary policies mm-hmm. side by side reforms something like that. Um, it's not just single policies that will have one impact in one place and will fix that problem. Yeah, there's a lot of joined up thinking in this in the way that one policy kind of reinforces and kind of makes another policy work and nice so, as well. Look, the Tory manifesto yeah. brutalises travellers and that mm-hmm. has a knock-on effect of also making people afraid of moving here. Yeah. And you accuse them of not having joined up <laughs> And so, so, see, it works really well for them. I just think your bigotry is coming through again. So your like, bigotry about... <laughs> so... They have a. Um, I'm just saying that threats of pogroms does keep the immigration levels down, and the Tory party's plans for a traveller pogrom is bound to keep their immigration down, which shows that they have got joined up thinking. <laughs> Credit where credit's due to the Tory party. Um. So that. So like. Yeah. Labour have like a policy on investing in, in roads and mm. cycle paths and things like that. Um, reviewing toll crossings, increasing funding available for cycling and walking. We will bring together transport and land use planning to create towns and cities in which walking and cycling are the best choice. We will help children's health and well-being. This is right next Mm -hmm. to each other. We will help children's health and well-being by ensuring street designs provide freedom for physically active outdoor play and by introducing measures to ensure the zones around our schools are safer with cleaner air. It's just one of those things that, like, they haven't just gone to, we will make a more effective transport system. You'll be able to get to work so quick. Yeah. It'll be fucking amazing. You, your yeah. car journey to wherever you need to go for your, like, 50-hour-a-week job, um, it will be so smooth. They've actually kind of put in a little thought to quality of life and mm-hmm. side benefits to the things. Like, getting rid of cars mm-hmm. is going to be a huge fucking thing, and there will be a huge backlash. One of the things I think that could probably get a Labour politician assassinated, one of the lesser things, if you take away like uh, racial hatred, um, defence stuff, maybe monarchy stuff, which are big cultural symbols. Yeah, someone will try and kill a Labour politician if they try and abolish the monarchy, 100%. Big. Prince Philip. It's the reason. Yeah, one hundred percent. No, but Prince Philip will be the one trying to do it, not like a person. Oh yeah, but Prince be, Philip no, will come for you on his horse and car. Prince Philip might be behind it, but then he's behind <laughs> every political assassination. <laughs> he is, um, and he's not allowed to drive anymore, so that's pretty horse safe. And car. <laughs> he is. He's still allowed to drive a horse and car. Well, okay, as long as he can get away, as long as it's he's got a swift nag <laughs> on point, then uh, it'll be fine to do a drive by on John McDonnell. Um, <laughs> Joke? Am I? F- no, wait. That's not encouraging. So, no. Anyway. No, that's just that's just you know a prediction. Um, no. What I'm saying is that like cars are probably the biggest 
cultural like flashpoint that yeah there's a difference between drivers and drivers and every party by the way is promising to get rid of petrol and diesel engines yeah. it just matters at what point yeah um and uh yeah labor are going to end sales of combustion engine vehicles by 2030 um alongside their end en- sales of all combustion vehicles by 2030 yep you won't be able to buy a petrol car in like 10 years in 10 years, there will be no petrol cars. That's if good. any of these manifestos are correct. And the thing is, I think Labour probably, yeah, we'll try, they could, yeah. they will definitely give it a good go. Mm. Conservatives promised by 2040, mm. they will not do that. Oh, no, they won't. They absolutely will tr- literally drive that into the ground. Yeah. But what I'm saying is that it's a contentious issue that is one of those things that people are going, certain people are going mm. to get fucking definitely. furious about. 100%. So... With a side-by-side complementary reform, maybe your kids can go to school without choking their lungs out, mm. without developing asthma. Maybe you get a designed... They can ride a bike on the road without getting hit by a lorry. Yes, maybe they get to play outside without getting hit by a lorry. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things that, like, they've really thought about the actual world that they're mm-hmm. going to be inhabiting rather than just pointing at things and giving them more funding. It's, yeah. it's really nice. Um, or like for instance um, alongside the NHS reforms they'll set up an NHS forest that offsets some of the carbon set off by the NHS mm-hmm. is that one um, further in the NHS when they say obviously they've had the, the policy to abolish prescription charges for a while um, there's another complimentary thing that they will establish a generic prescription drug company that's also <laughs> been in the uh, in the thing Um Again, using the Patents Act, if um, patented, if uh, fair prices are rejected for patented drugs, we will use the Patents Act provisions, compulsory licenses and research exemptions to secure access to generic versions. Again, not just abolishing prescription charges, not just taking control of um, patents and producing cheap drugs, but actually making like heading off potential challenges in mm-hmm. the future to that. Um, They've also, in the other, in their international development section, promoting fairer international patent regimes that do not prevent countries from accessing uh, essential medicines. In the long term, ensure that all medicines developed with the support of UK taxpayer money are accessible to people in the global south. Mm. So, taking not just domestic uh, drug, like not just reversing kind of domestic privatization and ending the rule of the market in this country, but actually providing a model and starting to be able to roll it out. If you have an NHS that's patenting drugs Mm. and making them available to the third world, that's, that could be fucking huge. Mm -hmm. That's immense Mm -hmm. and will be met with airstrikes most likely, but you know, yeah, you get the idea. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's really cool how they're not just treating reforms as simply appealing to or appeasing discrete interest blocks, but just like, yeah, adding that little extra detail that not just makes the policy nicer and more, more kind of imaginable Mm -hmm. in your head. Like if you're imagining, trying to imagine a nicer, better world, Mm -hmm. um, it's also self-reinforcing because once you put that in place and people have a taste of that, it makes it much, much harder to then reverse it when, you know, the Tories get back in or or whatever. Um, Change UK take over. Yeah, Change UK get the huge, huge uh, majority Mm -hmm. and uh, they can finally do all those things they've always wanted to do but were stopped. (laughs) So, of course, we couldn't go through the manifesto without uh, talking about some of the things we're maybe not so happy about that Mm -hmm. aren't so clear-cut and aren't so good. Um, 
one of the main ones that's had a lot of debate is trans issues. Mm-hmm. Um, trans issues are mentioned a couple of times in the manifesto. Um, Labour is committed to reforming the Gender Recognition Act 2004 to introduce self-declaration for transgender people. But we are not complacent about the culture shift required to make LG, LGBT plus inclusivity a reality. Mm-hmm. Muddying the language there. It's mm-hmm. stark because a lot of their other sections do not muddy the language in mm. that way. It's very, very apparent. Yeah. Um, Labour will ensure that the single sex based exemptions contained in the Equality Act 2010 are understood and fully enforced in service provision. So there's been some confusion about exactly what this means. By single sex basis, do they mean the restriction of trans people by dint of gender assigned at birth? Yeah. Which in the apparently in the original Equality Act was not so much a thing, but was definitely a thing once transphobes had started their campaigns towards mm-hmm. certain kind of shelters and, and, and services that, yeah. that otherwise just were open to trans trans people. Yeah. Um and it was it was very weird. There were a lot of turf and transphobic groups um, celebrating hmm. what they'd read in the manifesto. That was the first thing I saw. That that made mm. me start freaking out. Yeah, um, it's like, but, oh god, the worst people in the world are happy. Yeah, but it's 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 actually it's purposefully not clear because it hmm. could mean either way. They don't actually mention the reality on the ground. They simply mention the legal provisions mm-hmm. contained. Dawn Butler did make a statement uh, that trans women were women and that if there was no way that spaces will be permitted to discriminate against trans people. Mm-hmm. LGBT Labour also released a statement saying that um, they support the reform of the GRA to allow self-definition. Um, you don't want to just shrug this and say, oh, it's all right then. Dawn Butler is one minister. Yeah. She is a qualities minister, but she's just one minister. Mm-hmm. Um, LGBT Labour are not the parliamentary party. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's, it's obvious that there's still a fight to be had, that there's yeah. still transphobic elements within the Labour Party and without that are going to really, really press this issue to be defined in the way that they want it. And Definitely. I think for a lot of people that's a deal breaker mm. for quite a lot of people mm-hmm. trans issues in particular are a deal breaker uh, us included I mm-hmm. would say well no it's like it's like with a lot of things it's like I don't I don't want the I don't want a nice a, a, like a fairer society economically on the backs of the suffering of other people yeah it's it's that's yeah. not um, speaking of a better society on the backs of other people um, they've got the usual cop stuff um, Lovely. 20,000 more cops reinstating the ones that were cut by the Tories. They introduced they their. just constructing them. They introduced their crime and punishment section mm-hmm. with this, which actually is probably more import- as important as, as the, uh, the policies because the policies are actually, there's some that are quite good. It's mm-hmm. more support for. Um, more support for women, decriminalising abortion everywhere. It's, 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 it's not, not, not bad. But they said, recorded crime has risen, including violent crimes like knife crime, which has risen to record high levels, up 80% in the last five years. Last year, more than 11 million crimes are recorded, and the proportion of offences charged has fallen across all categories. Prosecutions have fallen to a record low level. Where the Conservatives have failed, a Labour government will take action to address the causes of crime and end the epidemic. The Tory approach to policing has been different. Reckless, remote, authoritarian, ineffective policing on the cheap. It has led to what the HM Inspectorate of Constabulary described as dangerous, disturbing practices. With investigations shell, vulnerable victims let down, and dangerous suspects remaining at large. Again, like, 
we've talked about our attitudes to the police on here. Um, I am not an idiot. I know they're not going to fucking go for police <laughs> abolition, but there's there's actually quite there's not there's nothing really about prisons. They're going to reinstate um, probation <laughs> services, take them back in house, no more private prisons. That works to kind of get at the worst excesses mm-hmm. of the carceral state. Um, I don't know how to feel. It's one of those weird things that I feel like quite strongly about the like the role of prisons and the yeah. police in society, but also like it's an incredibly fringe view. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And it's one of those fringe, and like it's, it's it, one of those fringe views that it's like it's quite difficult. Like it's one of the ones that gets me in the most arguments at, with people. Yeah. Um so it's been very it's like, positive for you really. <laughs> yeah, cuz it's like it's a fringe view but it's one that is it's a fringe view that we hold but it is 100% correct <laughs> that they're bad. And the thing is like they reinstate 20,000 police officers. Those 20,000 police officers are going to be used to try and get rid of them in a coup. Yeah, that's an interesting thing. That's like... I was thinking about this the other day, actually. I mean, for all of the... One of the sneakiest things I think about um, this manifesto, and I'm not sure... They're probably not thinking in this way, mm-hmm. but I think if you were a committed revolutionary, mm-hmm. socialist, whatever, long revolution whatever, um, you would be thinking in these terms, but like the welfare state of 45 mm-hmm. created a load of new institutions and with them created a load of new, you know, bureaucrats, uh, accountants, whatever, mm. state workers, almost a new class shard because it was middle class and working class shard that needed to staff these, these ministries and these, yeah. these, these institutions. And that has been a solid labor vote for kind of, decades and decades and in yeah. fact you would say that they're probably the most staunch labor mm. support up now like what's left of unionized labor yeah what's left of university like university workers yeah what's left of like the nhs mm. um in that sense has been a bedrock and like i think this reinstatement of the police is probably the only um case where they are working against their own interests by creating a new more powerful block of people who are not just going to vote against them but you know would take action yeah but you know we'll 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 see um there was one more bit i wanted to mention about uh migration um, our border security this is from the manifesto our border security prevents serious crimes including child abduction people trafficking smuggling of drugs and guns terrorism and modern day slavery the Tories have further weakened our borders mm-hmm. cutting another 200 jobs over the last four years they have failed to deliver, to deliver exit checks in place of an effective border control they have required landlords teachers and medical staff to work as unpaid immigration officers creating a hostile environment a Labour government will review our border control um, on the good side, we will end indefinite detention, review the alternatives to the income de- inhumane conditions of detention centres. That's not closing them, that's reviewing them. However, they do promise to close Yarlswood and Brook House, okay. from which immediate savings would contribute towards a fund of £20 million to support the survivors of modern slavery, people trafficking and domestic violence. It feels like a bit of a, I don't know, a, f- a, a, a flub to not... They promise to end hostile environment, mm-hmm. but w- on the other hand, there is this lingering question of what takes its place. Yeah. And again, I actually, um, further along this, this road, I think there's more arguments for uh, uh, an actual humane border regime mm-hmm. that doesn't, it might not be necessarily be open borders, but you can definitely like make that more humane and there would be more support for it than something like a more humane um, 
like police service or whatever would or replace a police service, service whatever would replace like uh, crime and punishment um, but you can definitely tell these these are three areas where these are the kind of things that the Labour right will absolutely not compromise on mm-hmm. like they will compromise on having state factories they don't give mm-hmm. a shit they'll give, they'll give you sure start centres they'll give yeah. you legal aid because they know they'll have an opportunity to get rid of them eventually anyway. um I don't even think they care that much. Really? I don't think they care about no. having a, sock de- a social democratic society. Yeah, they yeah. just didn't see it, see it was possible. Yeah. These are the things, This yeah. the international, like the NATO stuff, the foreign policy yeah. stuff, these are the things that will they, are, they will completely not compromise on because mm. they are seen as like the key things to what Britain is. Yeah. Britain manufactures arms, so therefore if any government must support the arms industry, yeah. this is another bit of the manifesto as well, that they will support the defence industry. Again, although they will uh, end sales of weapons to Israel and Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like they will... This is this is These bad bits work in exactly the opposite way to the way that the good, way, yeah. good bits work because... They're not joined up. They literally are just pinpointing certain things and keeping the general condition and the holistic mm. um, situation of of that area of policy, mm. keeping it very vague with us with a view to keeping things basically the same. One of the most dangerous things, if you are a person of color or any minority group, um, like trans, all of them. Mm-hmm. It's interactions with the police and the borders. Yeah. And the continuing, you know, of that is just shitty. Yeah. And it makes me grumpy. It's that thing, though, um, the Labour Party and our support of it is has always been a concession. Yeah. Would like something better. This it's is one the, of the reasons why I, I really hope Labour win the, win the election. Because you know what? I'd really like to not go... I'd really like to be able to criticise Labour more. <laughs> and being able to shout shout about. Them. I think like look, no, nothing it, nothing is closed off. That is yeah. like the what's the opposite of a silver lining? No, yeah, silver lining on a cloud. That's yeah. the that's the crack yeah. that they do offer in that they're so cloudy and they're so mm-hmm. muddy that there's no possibilities closed off mm-hmm. by what they say in the defence section, the border section, police section mm-hmm. or uh, equal rights. Uh, LGBT section. I, I don't think there's anything entirely closed off, and that's the whole. You drive things through. Success is a hell of a drug. Yeah. And surfing to an actual election victory on the yeah. wave of so many people supporting these things and supporting reforms in these directions allows us the opportunity to actually talk about them. Mm-hmm. Maybe not achieve them immediately, but actually bring these things to the fore. And no one has ever ever talked about open borders properly mm. and it's a thing britain yeah. had open borders up until i believe it was 19 it's like 1950s or yeah. 1940s maybe 1920s something like that this century there have been open borders because, because there's a hangover of letting out all those soldiers to go conquer the world <laughs> well, yeah exactly it's like we can't have border yeah. controls because it slows down the movement of bullets you didn't. You didn't have to have yeah. that kind of stuff. You had border controls on the continent because they were all linked up, but it was an island, so you didn't have border yeah. controls. You, had, yeah. you could only get there on a boat anyway. Um, but yeah, just like to conclude yeah. this whole thing on the manifesto. Um, yeah, I really like how they've all put the extra bit of thought into grounding it, not just in GDP or abstract goals, but actually like quality of life, which mm-hmm. no one ever fucking talks about. Yeah. Um, and it is incredible reading through it, just realising how much has been swept away in the last 10 years. Yeah. And even in the last 30 years. And now stuff that you 
have to put back, that you have to make a huge policy commitment to put back, mm-hmm. is treated like a dangerous experiment in, in communism or whatever. Yeah. How much has to be put back just to get this country back to a place that's not designed to kill you if you have a bad month? Yeah. Is, is shocking. And as I mentioned earlier, like what's interesting about this mode of um, economic strategy that it seems to be committing to is like the offer it's making to capital. This isn't an abolish capital thing. This isn't even abolish the position of business owners and mm-hmm. individuals and corporations um, in particular. It is about restricting them, but they will still hold all of the, the commanding heights of mm-hmm. the economy. Um, it's forcing industry to become greener, more high-tech, pay more, provide better protections. And promising to cover the cost of transitioning to this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's quite a clever offer if you're remaining within capitalist power relations, which they always were going to. That's mm-hmm. not, I don't think that was ever in question. Other than very big corporations or financial companies who feel bound to no state, there's probably quite a lot of entrepreneurs who feel like they're, um, they're this is a good offer to them. Like, think of like Cameron's early One Nation eco friendly um, Blairite pitch simultaneously shoring up capitalism after the the credit crunch while also providing like a sop to national capital Mm -hmm. through like it said it was going to invest in the regions it said it was going to create a northern powerhouse it didn't but there we go um and i think yeah like i said a sneaky and possibly really cynical take to this the number of new agencies regional banks state-led investment it's going to need a huge amount of recruitment in engineers nurses state workers and ultimately bureaucrats Mm -hmm. um if you're looking at it in class terms, it's a new working and middle class shard, possibly with greater representation to the working class than was present in the in the 45 welfare mm-hmm. state. Um, we don't come to our politics, all of us, through um, just through conscience. We come to it through, through our real world experiences and interests. And like I said, those remaining in universities, the NHS, unionised industries remained a solid Labour bloc and maintaining the welfare state was not just the right thing to do for them but it reflected like a certain ethos about the way that they worked and the way that they viewed the world and it's going to sound megalomaniacal I don't feel bad about this but I think if the last five years has taught us anything it's that we're not in this to not engineer society to the way we want it to be Yeah, we're not here to just play the merry-go-round and, and keep it fair for yeah. the Tories because they have taken every opportunity to engineer society in their favour mm-hmm. um, dismantling like suffrage um, requiring voter ID gerrymandering districts mm-hmm. and the idea that we have to play fair to let the Tories have their turn next time round absolutely fucking not we're in this to win mm-hmm. you know if we need to create new a new strata of people that solidly supports these kind of reforms and these state industries and these this kind of economy this is how we do it you change the first principles on how an economy is run and I guess your point of view on that is either it's necessary for the peaceful reintroduction of social democracy or it's really cynical social engineering. <laughs> I could give less of a fuck. Uh, so, for the second part, it's a large conversation. Probably too big for this episode. <laughs> the media. The final power block. The final party running for election. Yeah. What kind of, uh, what kind of election do you think the media's been having, Hugh? Um, he said in a very BBC insider way. It's so bad. They've had such a tantrum because I I think like okay, next week, bit of a spoiler alert, we're gonna be talking about our favourite party, Change UK. Um the only party that's there to make a difference. Yeah. But it does seem like We just don't know to what. It does seem like the media because the Lib Dems have done as predicted mm-hmm. well, as we predicted, mm-hmm. and Change UK have gone the way 
also that we predicted, yeah. that they've had a tantrum. And that politically homeless thing has gotten to the nth degree and the screaming and the moaning. And like last week with, um, what's her name, Suzanne Moore. And yep. nim, 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 nim. There's no one I can vote for. I saw uh, Bloodworth did exactly that article, the mm. same article mm. today. Well, you know, he's used to stealing. And yeah. He's a lazy man. Uh, it, it's just, it's, if I can't have this, I'm going to take my, I'm going to take my ball and go home. Yeah. 100%. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk a bit about the uh, the, the highlights of mm-hmm. this media season. Mm-hmm. It's been a season. What a season. Yep. Um, <laughs> that's match of the day, like goal, of the, goal of the season, like music, yeah. You don't know that because you don't like football. I wouldn't know that. Yeah. No. Uh, so we should have really known how this was going to go. Sport shaming me. <laughs> I'm not sport shaming you at all. I'm just saying you wouldn't know. Uh, we should have known how this was going to go when the kind of this whole silly season started with Wreathgate. Mm-hmm. So uh, Boris laid a wreath upside down. The BBC, when they were recapping it, accidentally, quote unquote, used footage of him laying it correctly in 2016. Look, you wouldn't understand. The Jupiter system is very complicated, <laughs> and you can make little mistakes like this all the time for the same reason that. Tories get softball questions, it's the Jupiter system. <laughs> You're right. Uh, yeah, there was a moment when Corbyn was launching the manifesto, mm-hmm. when um, Laura Koonsberg got up to ask a question in the press conference bit, people booed her, and he was very, very clear that uh, he just said, fun. we don't do that here, yeah. in order to obviously assuage some of the image he seems to have in the media that he doesn't do enough or he doesn't play the game quite enough this is in comparison of course to um the bbc then editing footage of boris on question time to Mm. replace derisive laughter of the audience with applause yeah so that's the kind of thing that you that you get that thing with um, laura kuzberg was infuriating because like you gotta be careful like i have looked in i've like had some reflection on Am I angry at Laura Koonsberg? Is there any like linger? Is there like some kind of unconscious misogyny there? Of course, yeah. yeah. You gotta be careful with this stuff. But when you see her ask a question, people, but like about three people boo her. Jeremy Corbyn says, "Don't do that," and she looks pissed off. Yeah, <laughs> because he said that. Or you know, you see pictures of her just smiling at Boris like he's the prize pig. <laughs> yeah, there's been a lot of that kind of stuff, like. The the other big uh, thing was Corbyn kind of um, doing a press press conference mm-hmm. to unveil documents that he w- he was presenting mm-hmm. about uh, the nascent US UK trade talks mm-hmm. post Brexit US trade deal and the fact that the NHS is not clearly off the table. Mm-hmm. Um, the person who found these documents put them on Reddit a month ago. Mm-hmm. Added in a load of journalists, and they all ignored it. And they were announced by Jeremy Corbyn in a press conference. Mm-hmm. Um, and the defences were really, really stark and like so wide ranging and mm-hmm. so not coordinated, but they come from the same kind of thinking, the same group mind. So it was like, oh, well, these have been available for ages on Reddit. Oh, they don't show the NHS. Mm-hmm. It's like the fact that they don't show the NHS directly contradicts mm-hmm. what Boris has been saying about this US trade deal. Uh, oh, it's Labour just trying to get focus on the NHS after a difficult few days. It's mm-hmm. like, is it? Boris wasn't PM then. He was Foreign Secretary. Mm-hmm. 
it's dangerous to release sensitive documents. Sensitive yeah. is not the oh, same as top secret, by the way. Which it's was not. yeah, it was um, I can't remember which journalist it was who was saying that. He was like, but the government don't want us to know. <laughs> it's like, oh, good, good journalist. <laughs> and then more recently, in the last couple of days, it was Russia. Yeah. So it's not. There the, were some spelling mistakes, which means Russia. no, no. Oh, the. No one has disputed the fact that the documents are real. Yeah. They are real. What people are saying is that this is classic Russia because it's just like Russia to put something in the news that would embarrass the government. Yeah, I don't say it's um, What? Is it noted something awful poster Brown Moses. Yeah. That was, was a, a well, it was weird, weird blast it was like from a, the past. Yeah, because yeah. like, I haven't been on something awful for a very long time. But it's like, oh my God. <laughs> my God. It's like, and he's still posting. He made his career on that because he started doing his investigative journalism. It just feels weird that he'd still go back to like defend war. himself. <laughs> Very strange. Yeah, James Balls like saying, uh, "Well, they can say drug procurement is different from selling the NHS, but they would face insane backlash if they ever offered up a deal. If they ever offered up a deal increasing drug prices, that's one of several reasons it's a non-starter. It's like he can't what? be killing you. That's illegal. <laughs> James Balls is such a But it's like, you worked for WikiLeaks, mate. Yeah. James Ball is the worst. He really is the worst. I just think, like, that that whole period of time, that WikiLeaks, Edward Snowden period of time when those things were being released, that really did a number on the press. Like, they had this this image of themselves as Mm. everyone was Woodward and Bernstein and it was their go-to defence when anything happened. We're Woodward and Bernstein. We're Woodward and Bernstein. Yeah, whenever they do things like um, doorstep. (laughs) A person who just looks weird at a house until he kills himself. Yeah, that's weird. It's funny how they won't go up against, you know, a fully militarised <laughs> intelligence service and state. But they will hack Millie Dowler's parents' phones. Yeah. Might be, uh, there's a slight difference in those two things. Um, yeah, there's been a number of different, um, like, moments mm-hmm. that have been compared to one another that have really, really not come across well. Um, The BBC were found editing an online report about a Tory candidate suspended for anti-Semitic remarks. It went from a factual reporting of the specifics of the comments to merely branding them unacceptable. So the headline, Mm. rather than saying the actual thing, said, this candidate was found to have made unacceptable uh, anti-Semitic. So voiding what he'd actually said mm. and just reporting the thing, putting a wall up. That's and that's that seems to have been like a lot of what especially the BBC has been doing. Mm. There is this there's this sense. Now everyone knows the BBC is literally an arm of the establishment. It's mm. a very unique part of the establishment because while it's not actually state controlled, it's almost state patronage mm-hmm. that it relies on. It's an independent organization that relies on the state for patronage rather than depends on it for ultimate responsibility. Um, Tom Mills's book on uh, the myth of the BBC is really good on that. Yeah. <clears throat> Goes into that in quite a lot of detail. But what's been happening recently? I know people say it's a Tory bias, and I probably vaguely agree with that only to the extent that there seems to be this sense that they want to keep the government Mm -hmm. uh, respectable they want Mm -hmm. to keep the image of the government it can't be a joke well there's that stuff about how they can't they won't say they they won't um say liar Mm. and things like that Mm. that being said like you say like it's the government and like because you said it before that you know they're more in favor of the government than specifically right it's not the party yes Um, and I'm sure you'll be saying that when, you know, yeah. 
when the army go on to BBC Worldwide to announce the coup and, you know, Rob <laughs> Burl is there. Well, they'll let them in because the army, as part of the state, the army will have all the keys. They'll have the keys to all the important places. <laughs> yeah, like Laura Kunzberg um, reporting on this, saying, like, in very, like, non-committal, like, passive language, mm. this this NHS documents leak. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's like nothing she said about the NHS docs have been close to what you would expect from someone who was simply trying to communicate that they hadn't gone through the documents yet. Yeah. It was immediately like, oh, uh, well, we'll have to see what these say, but I can hardly believe that they say what they... It's like, why are you doing this? Mm. Like, if you were trying to convey that... The, even if you were trying to hide your defensiveness about this particular embarrassing moment... You could affect, like, oh, hot off the presses, you know, like, the situation in, in is fluid. You, there are a load of different modes of language that you could use to express that. But it's, it's, it's never that. It's always, yeah. like, just comical benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Um, and, like, yeah, what happened the day of these docs releasing? There was a load of shit directed at Labour. Mm-hmm. A load of questions asked solely to Labour. Mm-hmm. And... BBC Politics has a video of Boris eating a scone, the correct way of eating a scone. Yeah. It's like, if you had reported that in the 80s in Poland, you would have laughed at it because yeah. it would have been comically out of place and comically repressive. There's, it's, there's been a couple of, like, really obvious... It's not just the BBC, but really obvious, like, omissions in the media recently. Yeah. Like, um, I know it's different when it's, like, people from a long time ago... But they did just put up a statue to an anti-Semite. Yeah, that really... Like when you f- said about the Tory candidate who had to stand down because of being of anti-Semitic stuff, and I was like, well, Theresa May for putting up a statue of a fucking Nazi. <laughs> Surely that's that's like enough. But you know, Jess Phillips is there as well. <laughs> oh, and Leila Moran. Yeah, there was... So there was... It, oh, ah. Was it Leila Moran? Uh, Leila Moran, I believe, might have been there. It was Theresa May who unveiled the... Mm. the, the Jess Phillips did a speech <coughs> about it. There was a round table sponsored by the Na- New Statesman that had Jess Phillips. That was today, I yeah. believe. That was today. So, after all of the stuff about how there's no place for anti-Semitism in British society, how mm. it's it's so insidious, how it's only leaked into this one particular party at this one particular mm-hmm. point in time, and actual editorials mm-hmm. that saying that even comparing anti-Semitism in Labour mm-hmm. to Islamophobia in the Conservative Party... Mm-hmm is wrong because the Islamophobia is lower on the ranking, on the hierarchy of racisms that you can do. Yeah. How did you get into... How did you talk your way into this, people? How did you, like... How did you get into it? It's like, what I can work out from, like, the mode of reporting on every single thing over the past, like, three weeks. Mm. Their election reporting has gone something like this. Like, they seem to want a slow drip of stories Mm -hmm. and they get like 16 stories in one day and because they focus on a couple of high profile correspondents and programs um they that person has to reorient every like hour or so yeah so like the story's supposed to be i don't know like uh corbyn didn't explicitly address uh the chief rabbi's claims about anti-semitism in the in the labor party Mm -hmm. um and then they have to kind of editorialize about that and put their own spin on it and then they have to reorient to being neutral arbiters again. Mm-hmm. It's a very, very weird thing. And it seems to have just given them like this this overwhelming focus on Labour and Corbyn in particular. Yeah. 
has really distorted a lot of the way that perhaps they would introduce, I haven't got a better word for it, but bias and subtle kind of claims to political reality, I guess is the long way, long-winded way of saying yeah. it. Um, they cannot flit between subtle editorialising and impartiality and, and I'm just the messenger, Gov. Yeah. Um, they cannot flip between those two things as easily because, like, um, it took how long for Chomsky to write manufacturing consent and assemble yeah. all of the statistics that go into manufacturing consent? It took him years because he was dealing with TV broadcasts and newspapers every yeah. day for fucking years in order to build up a large picture. Mm. You can build, you can now build up that picture in a single day. Mm-hmm. Over the fact that it's their inability to um, juggle all of these different roles that they're expected to to undertake and come across as competent or, or yeah. comprehensive, you know. I don't know if they're that worried about coming across as competent anymore. <sighs> I didn't. I, I didn't think, think that, only... but they're so blasé about the anti-Semitism thing in particular around. Uh, Nancy Astor has yeah. really fucking annoyed me. I've never seen them be like so, so blasé mm-hmm. about it. Like it's just like no one addressed. Like you would if if Corbyn comes out of something, they yeah. do very in depth things to prove why they are. He is the thing that they say he is. Yeah. Very in depth. I haven't seen one person, one article, from a a like quote unquote centrist. That actually addresses should you be putting up statues to Nancy yeah. Astor, especially who, after what's like, happened in the last three years. Is it because um, she was married to the bloke who owned the Observer, and mm. I'm sure this, I'm sure it's true. I might be wrong. Um, that because of her, it was like her wish that they wouldn't employ um, black people, no Catholics and Jews. It was Catholics and Jews in until particular. like the 60s. Yeah, when the just normal, just normal <clears throat> when the Race Relations Act came in. Yeah, and it's like. Oh, it's just it's just unbearable. It's it's really hard. And it's like it, anti Semitism is gonna be is like the the ability to deal with it is going backwards. You can it's more obvious and like obviously there's there's certain claims around anti Semitism that you, the language is all important in how you describe mm. anti Semitism in the Labour Party. And I think we haven't gone into it as like an episode topic or whatever, mm. because it's difficult to just go into it without. Um, it, it, you've got to be careful, and it's it seems like a fairly open and shut thing. There's a level of there's a there's a type of thinking that is associated with anti-Semitism that you can really sum up in a few particular sentences. It's conspiratorial. It's, it's, it's that kind of thing. It's, mm-hmm. you know, uh, thinking that Jews are, are special mm-hmm. in some way that they are, they think that they're above people, all of that anti-Semitism yeah. shit. But like what's been so breathtaking, particularly about the Nancy Astor thing is that it's clear now with these two things of Corbyn, not apologizing for anti-Semitism or whatever, the yeah. way that they framed that and the way that they framed the Astor statue it's clear how exactly how they've been weaponizing it, and it's clear that this whole like social media environment of twenty four hour news and constant churning and mm. constant editorializing returning to neutral, they haven't been able to do it because they clearly didn't think that these two facets, mm. Corbyn anti-Semitism and Asta statue, they never thought these things would be linked up. Yeah. And this isn't just like say Gentile media, right? Yeah. Here's what the Jewish Chronicle 
a publication that you would think would be more attuned to this sort of thing mm-hmm. said about the Astor statue unveiling. Okay. A row has broken out after Theresa May unveiled a statue of the first woman to take her seat in Parliament, who was also, who quote, to un- take her seat? quote, unquote, virulently anti-Semitic and accused of sympathising with the Nazis. Accused? She fucking said... Why so passive? Yeah. A row has broken out. Yeah. Quotes marks around virulently anti-Semitic. How did you, the Jewish Chronicle, mm-hmm. of all thing, of all mm-hmm. institutions, yeah. not realise the impact of this? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? How do you, you of all publications, about, don't know about historical figures associated with anti-Semitism? If you want to talk about normalising anti-Semitism, putting up big bronze statues to them isn't... It's... it's it's fucking crazy. And, like, I think, like, moving on from, from that stuff, yeah. like, what the, another thing that really broke me, uh, there was a tweet by Chris Mason, who's an economics editor at the BBC. Okay. The infamous tree math tweet. Oh. Uh, Labour's tree planting policy with mathematical support from uh, another person. Labour wants to plant 2 billion trees by 2040. That is roughly 100 million per year. 8.3 million a month, 2 million a week, 300,000 a day, 12,400 an hour, every hour, 24 hours a day, 200 a minute. Hashtag GE2019. No other comment. And this kind of broke me because it's just that perfect combination of meaningless statistics, yep. ignorance of actual methods, of actual reality, and just also not caring. One clueless editor with a calculator, or as it turns out, a friend with a calculator. Yeah. Um, and a Twitter account can think that this is in any way meaningful. Yeah. Like, oh no, what happens if we only plant five hundred billion trees? According to him, that would be a failure. Yeah. Also, so, that like, there's it was so much about that figure was just really like not understanding how you plant trees. Yeah. Not understanding, not understanding that, what trees do because it didn't because it doesn't matter. matter. No, it doesn't because matter because you don't get the expert in tree yeah. planting on. To no. question that. What you do is you insert yourself as the expert in the yeah. middle of that situation. They've gone from pipelines between knowledge and the viewer yeah. to they're just the expert. Yeah. Because they're the real thing. There was a really fucking interesting um, uh, piece of writing on that I saw on Twitter. And I, um, apologies because I cannot remember who... I looked for it, but I could not remember who'd linked it. Um, I'd got the link, uh, but couldn't remember who linked it. It's called um, Why Politics Coverage is Broken. It's by Jay Rosen, who's an American professor of journalism, and it was given at the Melbourne Writers' Festival uh, all the way back in 2011, like mm-hmm. a, a talk. And he's talking about Australian politics, but you can see where it's relevant in uh, 2019. And he highlights three factors of modern like political journalism that really worries him. The first one is the insiders. He says... When journalists define politics as a game played by the insiders, their job description becomes find out what the insiders are doing to quote-unquote win. Reveal those tactics to the public, because then the public can... Well, this is where it gets dodgy. It lavishes attention on media performances, because the insiders are supposed to be good at that, manipulating the media. Everyone is engaged in the production of media narratives. Journalists and politicians are both inside the story, Mm -hmm. making machinery. Inside the story-making machinery. Mm -hmm. One way to detect the dominant ideas at play in any familiar form of journalism is to ask how that form positions the users. Politics as a game played by the insiders positions us as connoisseurs of our own bamboozlement. So it's like, yeah, we should have known this would happen when they started talking about spin. Yeah. Like, so, well, they were talking about, like, Alistair Campbell as, like, oh, he's a master of the dark arts, he's the master of spin. It's like, to you! Yeah. 
Who are we in this? He's saying he's so good at fooling us and therefore we're good at passing it on to you. But we're also telling you that he's good at it so therefore he can't be good at it. Yes, what the sure, hell like, is this? Announcing like this man is the biggest liar and the best at lying <coughs> sort of takes away his powers of lying. Yeah, I don't... I just don't get mm. how that in any way works. Um, Rosen also identifies um, the quality of savviness. Mm-hmm. So he says, In politics, our journalists believe it is better to be savvy than it is to be honest or correct on the facts. It's better to be savvy than it is to be just, good, fair, decent, strictly lawful, civilised, sincere, thoughtful or humane. Savviness is what journal- journalists admire in others, and to be unsavvy is far worse than being wrong. Savviness is that quality of being shrewd, practical, hyper-informed, perceptive, ironic, with it, and unsentimental in all things political. And what is the truest mark of savviness? Winning, of course. Or knowing who the winners are. They would say that journalists need to be savvy observers because in politics the unsavvy are hapless, clueless, deluded, clownish, or in some cases extreme. The unsavvy get run over easily. They get disappointed needlessly. They get angry fruitlessly because they don't know how things really work. They don't say, I have a better argument than you. They say, I am closer to reality than you. That's like bang on. That Mm. is every defence that I've heard in the last probably like two or three years since this weird situation has developed, particularly on social media where you have interactions Mm. between journalists, what they've said, and the people who are reading what they've said, you know? Um, they don't like it when people get angry at them because it's like, oh, it's only an article. Yeah. Oh, it's only politics. It's like, no, this is actually quite important. People are dying. Yeah. Like, this is important to us when we become engaged in this mm-hmm. this thing. We're doing it from, again, a place, like a place of our personal experiences and our personal interactions with the state and with each other and, and all mm-hmm. those things. It's, it tries to hog political realism to, to itself. We're yeah. the only ones who are allowed there. Uh, The final facet he talks about is um, the production of innocence. He says, by the production of innocence, I mean ways of reporting the news that try to advertise or prove to us that the press is neutral in its descriptions, a non-partisan presenter of facts, a non-factor and non-actor in events. When you hear, don't shoot the messenger, you are hearing a journalist declare his or her innocence. That's literally in That is literally in Kunzberg's Twitter bio. Uh. Yeah. The basic message, we're innocent because we're uninvolved, isn't something to be stated once in a professional code of conduct or an about page. It has to be said many times a day in the course of writing and reporting the news. One of the greatest attractions to horse race journalism is that it permits reporters and pundits to play up their detachment. Focusing on the race advertises the political innocence of the press because who's going to win is not an ideological question. By asking if you reaffirm that yours is not an ideological profession, this is experienced as pleasure by a lot of mainstream journalists. Innocence is bliss Mm. and like yeah i think that definitely like explains some of the confusion because like as we said with the spin thing when you're in both inside and outside you're outside it because you have no power to affect what's going on and yet you have the window at all times you know exactly what's going on you're savvy you're clued up because of these good people who allow you an insight into how westminster works or whatever but that kind of ends up getting expressed as like especially in an election Everyone keeps telling me how important I am, Mm -hmm. and yet I've never felt more powerless. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? I'm at the centre of all this, but I have less control over my own life and my own like viewing habits Mm -hmm. than I ever have before. And it's like it's alienating and it's it's disconcerting. Like if you're a a Labour Leave voter and you hear about whether Labour is going to be able to appease its Labour Leave voters, 
That means you're inside the narrative and outside the narrative. Mm -hmm. And everyone's like that. Everyone has a particular stake. Even if they may not think of themselves as political, you all have a stake in what is going on and what is happening because it directly and materially impacts you. The framing by which you, as a viewer, absorb that is really, really unsettling, especially when they're talking about you. The only... We're both the insiders mm. and the rubes at the same time. Mm-hmm. Whenever you talk in those terms, the processing is entirely laid out in front of you. And the only way, actually, logically, it makes any sense is if you posit an imaginary audience that has no politics, no interests, no thoughts, no stakes of its own. It's entirely imaginary. Mm. Like, it doesn't exist. It's not a real thing. I think like there's two like there's two processes going on with the way that the media has covered this election. Uh, we've already mentioned one, like the rhythm of the coverage, twenty mm-hmm. four hour news, social media commentators can't just go from like a dodgy interview or a poorly glossed over editorialising to then spring back to being neutral. Um, I think largely they try to recently, especially with poly- the like the Andrew Neil shows and mm-hmm. things like that, they've tried to bridge this this gap with humour or like pretending that they're basically an entertainment show like yeah. getting Michael Portillo up to dance or all the guests up to dance yeah. something like that it's um, but I think like if you're paying attention to this stuff this kind of feeling of constant like turnover mm. of people are allowed to editorialise or have their own particular agenda in what's supposed to be an impartial news programme and one time you let it go. Wreathgate, maybe, if it mm-hmm. was on its own, you let it go. But you add the Russian hat. Mm-hmm. You add the uh, editing Boris's um, like interstitial Speech, yeah. uh, little little blip. Yeah. You add the, oh, showing uh, Johnson eating a scone when yeah. a really important piece of news. Combine that with the kind of general attack lines that they have insisted upon using with Corbyn. And you obviously don't understand the Jupiter system. <laughs> you just, you get up to this constant build-up, kind of, and not being able to affect it, kind of leads into the second point I wanted to make, which is like, the main mode of news journalism in this country is that things must always develop, things must never conclude. There is a new report or a new doc, and this links back to the manifesto stuff, there is a new doc or a new report every day about how like X is at epidemic levels or Y is a nationwide problem, mm-hmm. an imminent like an imminent norm that we must get used to. Mm-hmm. Um, climate change is one. Mm-hmm. Um, they've pushed uh, moving beyond left and right mm-hmm. to open and close. That's mm-hmm. another one that people have pushed for, for decades. Mm-hmm. Like... There's ethnic diversity, but the North aren't happy. Yeah. Like, this is something that has just gone on and on and on and on. Mm. That has never, especially for the last 10 years, when it feels like all of our discourse is just frozen in place from what was a very obvious conclusion that Mm -hmm. we had come to at the end of the financial crash, that this was fucked, this could not go on. And, like, this has been the focus. Like, whenever there's something like a change in Britain, these are the changes we should get used to in the next... It's like... The natural and inevitable shuttering of possibilities that came out of the financial crisis, the obvious ideological work that was put in to prevent people imagining something beyond capitalism, the slow cancellation of the future, yada, yada, yada. Like, in that time, climate change moved from being an imminent concern to, like, a realised one. It's it's happening, like, now. 
and we never move beyond left and right as a frame of reference. Yeah. And yet they're still talking about it. That's why it's, I think, started to catch up with them because actual events have gone way past the discursive limits they placed on themselves after the financial crisis. Mm-hmm. They've, they've just been, they've been caught out of time. Like that New Statesman thing, the article today, the editorial, where they said yeah. they weren't going to support the Labour Party. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to read it out here, but it no. sounds exactly the fucking same. They call for a civic patriotism of decency, fairness, reciprocity, humanitarianism. It's like, this is the same fucking stuff. This detail-free guff mm-hmm. that you have spun in exactly the same way. And it sounds old. Mm-hmm. It sounds like someone trying to convince somebody of the virtues of like the Ottoman court or something yeah. in 1915. It's like, we cannot possibly get rid of the Sultan yeah. because the court provides valuable scrutiny to yeah. the all-powerful emperor you know it's, it sounds so old-fashioned and it just feels like we've been trapped at the start of the restart of the end of history yeah if the end of history ended after the financial crash and history was supposed to restart there have been very powerful forces in desperately trying to make sure it does not restart it does not advance um and like yeah there's a there's a perfect bit about like specifically why Corbyn is always focused on it in this. That again, I've forgotten the actual Twitter handle. There was a very good thread on why people vote conservative and why people are focused on Corbyn in mm-hmm. particular. Mm-hmm. And I think part of it is Corbyn makes people feel guilty. They know that these crises that mm-hmm. are happening now, these are not something that we can retire from. Mm-hmm. These are not something that people like can just step back and get on with their jobs and everything will basically be alright if you keep your head down. Like, that's not going to happen this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a fucking, uh, fucking ghoul, John Rental, um, tweeted out the other, uh, a couple of days ago. It's a um, vampire, not a ghoul. He was having a, well, a ghoul Ghoul's is a type less. of, ghoul, ghoul can be a type of vampire. Depending than vampires. No, ghoul can be a type of vampire depending on what system you're playing in Warhammer. Ghouls are actually types of vampires. Rental is a vampire lord if he's going to be in any of if he's in Fair if he's in fantasy battle yeah. But he tweeted most enjoyable conversation having a go at twenty five year old Corbinite talking heads on TV who know absolutely nothing. You know they won't be Corbinites in ten years. They'll be junior managers at GlaxoSmithKline Welcome if they're lucky. He'll be a pile of dust in ten years. And it's like yeah, look, listen to that. Yeah. They'll be they'll be at GlaxoSmithKline like Welcome. They'll be like us. Yeah. They will make the same thing we did. They still feel fucking guilty. If I was John Rental, I would not feel guilty. Like if you were, if you were of that age Vampires and you had, and you had sold out, yeah. or, or whatever that fucking old thing means. Yeah. If you had sold out to a corporation or whatever, are you still feeling bad it, twenty years down the line? It comes back to that, you know. The if you're left wing. If you're right wing when you're young, you don't have a heart. If you're mm. left wing when you're old, you don't have a brain. As that justification for why they don't like paying their taxes when they're older. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. it's that thing. It's like, well, it's yeah. like, like, look, I'm not going to say that, like, everyone, all the faces of the Corbyn movement, mm. for whatever that means, um, in a best case scenario, there will still be individuals who, like, do something. They go fash, they sell out to yeah. a corporate. Corporate sponsor, a yeah. technocracy. Uh, who knows? <laughs> John McDonnell but... on day one, <coughs> turning up wearing a virgin hat and saying, "We're not nationalising the trains." It just didn't make sense. <laughs> Drinking a bottle of virgin cola. Hmm, <laughs> <laughs> it's the parts others can't reach. <laughs> 
But look, look, financial reasons, which is the most straightforward, ideological reasons yeah. for less straightforward reasons. There will there will be people who you feel have betrayed Labour, the left, mm-hmm. corporatism, all that kind of stuff. But like, let's face it, the manoeuvring space for people to drop out in that way and mm-hmm. support a particular side is rapidly running out. Like, those people aren't going to be able to fade into that and remain political mm-hmm. and convinced that they're on the left and that they yeah. are the progressive force of history or whatever you say, however you want to put it. Like, the manoeuvring space for people like that to just fade into some uncaring void mm-hmm. and still remain political is just disappearing. Because, like, in 10 years, we'll know how far we have to prepare for seasonal wildfires. Yeah. You know, we'll know what areas are off limits to the elderly and the young because they can't breathe in them. Yeah. Uh, we'll know exactly how many people will have to evacuate worldwide from cities that are slipping into the ocean. Like, we'll just, if it continues like this, like, those people who he likes to dismiss as brain-dead 25-year-old Corbynites, if they're disabled and Labour loses, they might very well be fucking dead. Hmm. You know, there's going to be just more dead disabled people, more people who are dead or impoverished because of one fucking bad month that allowed him to just slip below the water. Mm. Like, this fancy Blairite bathing pool he Mm. has is the void to us. We slip Mm. under that. We drown in his pool that he enjoys so much that he can just languish in and just hit out on Twitter and not really do anything, publish a book every couple of years called The Hope of Patriotism. Mm. We don't have this wide, infinite future to just fade into, to just trust in now. We can't disentangle ourselves from politics. We have to care about this shit because we've run out of time not to. The mode of selling out is not going to be the same because we can't not do it. All right, that's us for this week. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, follow us at WDTATW underscore podcast, follow me at BM Bergamo, follow Hugh at Tanner Smashing, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Fighting am the least about the fighting game.